out. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. My name is David Vignoli, your humble host, and this is episode number 36. We took a few months off, took a long break at the beginning of 2021, but now I'm back to bring a bunch more episodes of this podcast because I know it's been helping because a lot of you have asked me, hey Dave, where's the podcast? So it's back. It's bigger than better than ever. And today we're going to talk about the top six reasons for why home recordings, recordings done in your home studio, may not sound professional, doesn't really sound good or have problems. I'm going to give you some of my expertise when I hear lots of different home recordings done in the home studio, the top six problems and how to avoid them. So let's listen up right here on the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. This is episode number 36, as I said at the top of the show here. And um, this is the first episode after taking several months off at the beginning of 2021, almost six months off to be exact. Um, took a break, had a lot of new things going on in Home Recording Made Easy. And if you've been following Home Recording Made Easy for any length of time, you know all about all the new courses that have come out. Um, some refreshing of some old courses to make them bigger and better than ever. And there's been a lot of work going on and there is some new top secret stuff coming up here at Home Recording Made Easy as well that I can't talk about yet, but I will talk about soon. So if you have not been over to homerecordingmadeeasy.com in the last four months or so and you just been checking out the podcast or you just stumbled upon this podcast, then I highly would encourage you to go check it out after the show. Again, that's homerecordingmadeeasy.com. All the links will be in the show notes. And also, um, if you stick around to the end of this podcast, I'm going to give you a special discount coupon code so you can check out some of that new training at, um, at a wonderful discounted price. So this week, I'm going to tell you about the five or the top six things that I hear over and over and over again when people send me their home recordings and some of the reasons why their home recordings may not sound as professional as one might like. Um, Some of it has to do with the person doing the recording. (laughs) Some of it has to do with maybe some of the equipment being used and a combination of both. So we're going to talk about these things. I'm going to kind of give you a couple of tips here. And um, if if any of these tips resonate with you or if you find yourself saying, you know what? That sounds like me. Or you know what? I have that problem in my home studio. You may want to try to address that because the whole goal here is to record music, right? Have fun. And you want to try to make it sound as professional as you possibly can. And it is a craft. That's for sure. It takes time. But you also got to have the right setup and the right kind of frame of mind and follow the right kind of process to help you along the way so you're not struggling with recordings that don't sound good. Right. So let me tell you about the top five reasons or the top five things or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) So number one, a lot of times home recordings, well, not a lot of times, all the time, home recordings are made where? At home, in a home studio. Sometimes it's a spare bedroom. Sometimes it's a basement. Sometimes it's a kitchen. Sometimes it's your living room. Sometimes it's a, you know, a closet, whatever it is. It's usually a spare room or the junk room, or the back room, or the bonus room, or the bonus basement in your home, right? And those rooms are typically not treated well, meaning they don't have acoustic treatment in them, or they have poor acoustic treatment in them. And when you're recording instruments in an untreated room, like guitar amps, like drums, if you record drums at home, when you have an untreated room and you have 
lack of isolation to some degree, the recording isn't going to come out as, as good as it could. Again, this really kind of pertains to guitar amps and live drums and those kinds of things. Also, when you're mixing your recording, you've done your recording and now you're mixing it and it doesn't sound as good as it can. It's usually because the room isn't treated acoustically. So if you're someone that records live instruments in your home studio and or mix music in your home studio, you want to have some basic acoustic treatment in that space. It doesn't have to be super fancy. It doesn't have to be super expensive. There are lots of videos online, including good old Uncle Dave's Home Recording Mateys YouTube channel showing you about acoustic treatment. But it's one of the things that a lot of people overlook or they don't think it's as, as important. They think it's just a bunch of hype. And it's one of the reasons why your recordings don't sound as good as they could, because what you're hearing in the room is not accurate especially when you're mixing. But if you put a guitar amp, let's say, with a microphone in front of it in an untreated room and you have all kinds of reflections and all kinds of sound bouncing all over the place, you're going to have a not very good recorded electric guitar sound. Okay? Same thing with drums. If you're recording an acoustic drum kit in an untreated room and there are reflections all over the place, and that's not to say you want to record drums in a, in a totally dry space, but an overly live space is not good either, especially if it's not a large room. And most times with high ceilings, most times in home studios, it's in a bedroom, a basement, ceilings are seven, eight feet. You don't have the space, the volume of the room to make those drums sound good. And if the, if the, ceiling and the walls and the surfaces are too close to the drum kit, what happens? You have all kinds of reflections all over the place. So acoustic treatment is super important. And that's probably the number one thing that I tell everyone you need to address, you know, once you get your setup going is recording and mixing in a treated space, a properly treated space. So get your room treated. Okay. Number two, another reason why you can have recordings that really don't sound as maybe good as you want, maybe not as professional as you want, um, is a lot of time, a lot of times, you know, home studio recordings are done on very inexpensive, very, um, you know, entry level interfaces and preamps. Okay. Now, that's not to say that you can't record music with a I'll use an example, a $99 or $129 audio interface. Of course you can. Okay. If that's all you can afford and that's all your budget can afford, that's fine. Are the preamps good enough to do some basic recording? Yes, they're good enough to do some basic recording. Are they good enough to do really more high level recording? Mm, not really. How much do you need to spend on an interface or, you know, with preamps or, or an outboard preamp to get something decent? I would say you probably want to spend in the few hundred, four to five hundred dollar range minimum. Okay. If you're buying a $99 two channel audio interface, you got to understand that the componentry and that interface is not very good. It's bargain basement stuff. It will physically work and it's great when you're just starting out. But if you're trying to make a higher quality recording, you got to understand that they're not done. You know, if you listen to a commercial release or your favorite records or your favorite artists or whatever, you got to understand that those recordings were not done with a $99 interface. 
They were done with high-level, high-quality preamps, in some cases costing thousands of dollars, but you don't need to spend that much money. I'm just, you know, pointing out, you know, an example. And with higher-quality microphones and those kinds of things. It doesn't take place of great musicianship, that's for sure, or a great song, that's for sure. Those are the two most important things. But when you want to capture that song, that wonderful song, and or that wonderful recording, you want to do it through a decent set of preamps that are quiet, that are not noisy, that have all kinds of problems with them that just don't sound like crap, okay? So if you're using one of those cheap interfaces, I'm not saying stop everything you're doing right now and go out and spend 500 bucks. But what I'm telling you is think about that as you know something that you may wanna consider in the future. Your, your, your studio is only as good as its weakest link. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in other podcasts, but I mean, there is, there is no... Um, advantage in my mind. And I've seen this before where students will have really nice microphones. They'll go out and they'll spend money on good microphones. Let's say vocal microphones and they'll spend a thousand dollars on a microphone, which, you know, again, you don't have to spend that much, but I've seen people do this and then plug that microphone into a $99 interface and go, geez, you know, I'm not really all that happy with the way that microphone sounds. Well, you know, part of the reason is that the, the preamp and the A to D conversion is not, or the, you know, yeah, A to D conversion is not very good. Okay. Now that doesn't mean that you, you can't record music with it. Of course you can, <laughs> you know, but think about it, right? Isn't that logical? Don't plug a really nice microphone into a $99 interface. It doesn't make any sense. You want to get yourself a decent interface with some decent preamps. Okay. Even if you just had, if you're someone who just records one or two instruments at a time, or if you're a solo artist and you record one instrument at a time to build up your track, you just have to buy an interface that has one really good preamp right? Or you want to buy an interface that has a set of line ins on it where you can maybe have an external preamp or something like that. My point is, if you're doing lots of recording, you want to have at least one preamp or one, you know, you know, uh, ability to record through a decent preamp, whether it's on the interface itself or whether it's an outboard preamp, that's going to help give you a better quality capture of that recording. Okay. It does make a difference. Okay. The third thing that I hear a lot of times is there are a lot of people who use, and this is nothing wrong with this. I use this as well. They use lots of VST instruments, whether it's be for bass and strings and drums and all this stuff. And sometimes they use ones, you know, they, again, there, there, there are some VST instruments out there that just don't sound very good. You know, they're really inexpensive or sometimes free and they sound like they're fake. They don't sound real. Or, and or, and or, they get really, you know, they get some decent sounding software instruments or software drums and they don't know how to properly program them. So they don't sound like, like a plugin, like it's, you want it to sound as realistic and as authentic as possible. Again, you know, I don't, I'm not going to give you recommendations on which software instruments to buy. There are so many on the market. I would say, do your research. And again, some that come with your DAW of choice will be just fine. But, you know, when you get into things, especially where I hear this the most, to be quite honest, is usually on string sections and brass sections. Those kinds of instruments, when you use the kind of cheapo stuff that comes, it doesn't sound very good. Where you can buy some higher quality VST instruments that sound much more convincing. They're sampled in multi-million dollar studios with wonderful musicians 
and they're just going to sound more realistic and more convincing. And that's something to consider. So if you're someone, let's say you're just a, a guitar player, let's say, and you need to program your drums, you need to program your keys and your strings, you may need to program all your bass, maybe you play bass if you're a guitar player, but maybe you need to program bass and drums. You want to make sure you have good quality virtual instruments and learn how to use them in a way so they don't sound like a virtual instrument. And there's ways to do that. There's courses and things you can take online. And a lot of that takes practice, but that's something to heavily consider. Okay. Using really cheap VST instruments are okay. You can use them. There's nothing wrong with it, quote unquote, but they don't normally sound that good. I can instantly tell most times, not all the time, but most times when, when a student sends me a recording of a song that they did, when it has a bunch of VST instruments in it, I usually can instantly tell two reasons. One, either it doesn't sound very good and, or it's because it wasn't programmed very well. And it's so obvious that it wasn't played by a human. Okay. So those are two things to consider. Again, are there VST instruments on commercially released songs out there? You betcha, you betcha, especially drums, right? On, on there, there are many, 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 many songs where the drums, and this happens a lot in country and pop country, other genres as well, by the way, but big in that genre where all the drums are virtual instruments. They're all superior drummer or slate digital drums or, you know, one of the other ones, addictive. They're all that. Either it was played by a real person and the, all the samples were, and all the drums were replaced with samples or they were augmented with samples. That happens an awful lot. And there's also some programming of the grooves and stuff, MIDI drums, but they're done in a way where it sounds real and you wouldn't know the difference. And so that's a technique all in itself. So be careful with your software instruments if you use a lot of them, okay? The ones that usually cost more usually sound a lot better and have a lot more variety and features. It's just something to consider, okay? So when you send off a song that's been done, someone like myself shouldn't be able to tell that, oh my goodness, I could tell three quarters of this is all done with VST instruments, okay? That doesn't really help you. So that's something to consider. Uh, tip number four, the fourth thing that I hear all the time, and this is an obvious one, just overall poor recording techniques. Okay. 75% roughly, and I use that number loosely, of a great sounding mix or a great sounding song obviously starts with a great written song and a rain song. I've already said that. That's obvious. And it also includes really good playing and performance. That's obvious but also the recording of that great song with those great players. If the recording techniques are not very good, you're going to have a kind of a shitty, excuse my language, a crappy, uh, a crappy uh, captured recording. And therefore the mix is going to be limited to what you can do. So if you're someone who records music at home, make sure that you study up on how to get a good recording it's not that difficult. It really truly isn't, but it's something you want to take care in. Some of it is having the right room, as we said earlier, you know, proper miking technique on things like guitar cabinets and vocals, especially proper mic choice, right? Those kinds of things. Really important. Remember, get it right at the source. You've heard that a billion times from me and from other people. Well, that's what it means. If you have a well-recorded track that's performed well with good quality musicians, guess what? It's going to sound great in the end unless you really screw up the mix, which you could do, but you're, you're, half, you're more than halfway there. So poor recording techniques is another classic thing that I hear all the time, okay? 
The next thing, number five, things that I hear after it's been recorded when I hear people's mixes is I just hear not a very good mix, bad mix. Usually the culprit, too much compression and reverb are the top two things that I hear in an amateur mix all the time. Now, if you're hearing, you're learning how to mix and getting better at the craft here at Home Recording Made Easy or at MixingMadeEasy.net, well, we all started off where we couldn't make good quality mixes. We all started off and they, they were not very good. All of us, me included, right? Mixing, just like recording, just like learning an instrument is a craft and it takes many years to get really good at it, okay? The only way you get better at it is to continue to practice Continue to train yourself, take training and get good at it. And eventually you'll get good at it again. It's not rocket science. It's not something like, you know, you need to be gifted to be able to do this. Not really. It is a taught skill. It really truly is. And you can learn it. And if you're here listening to this podcast and you've been a part of my home recording made easy ecosystem for any time at all, then, you, then you're, you're, making, you're taking that step. You're trying to do that. And I applaud you for that. You know, you're doing more than most. But again, get better at the craft of mixing. Once you get good at the craft of recording, make sure that you really understand how to use EQ compression and don't overuse things like compression and reverb. I hear that all the time. I hear it all the time. So you want your mix to sound professional? You got to be careful with those two things. Obviously, there's more to mixing than just compression and reverb, obviously. But those are the two things that stand out to me the most. Those are the two things that I hear that I can instantly tell whether an amateur did it or whether a professional did it. How is the track compressed overall and on the individual instrumentation? And how is the reverb and delay effects used? And more times than not, if they're overused or not used in the proper way compared to commercially released music, I can tell that an amateur did it that doesn't really understand what they're doing quite yet. And that's okay, but just be aware that those are things you want to kind of look out for, if you will. Hope that makes sense. Okay? And then the other reason why sometimes there's, you know, poor recordings coming out of home studios, and this is, this is we're all fall victim to this, and some of this is not our fault, but this is a thing to be aware of, I guess is that in the digital domain, working in a digital audio workstation, whether it's Pro Tools, Cubase, Studio One, Reaper, Logic, Harrison Mixbus, whatever else comes along, Universal Audio Luna, is there are so many options today in a digital audio environment that a lot of times beginners, people that are new to this, that, that are having problems, is in their sessions, they're using way too many plugins way too many plugins, okay? Where they're over-processing too many plugins in their, in, their, in their projects. And that, again, kind of goes back to the one before, kind of a, I wouldn't say a bad mix or, or a mix where they're still in the learning stages of mixing, okay? If a track is, again, we'll go right back to the beginning. If you have a well-written song that's well-arranged, performed by a decent musician or musicians, and it's recorded properly and recorded well, right? Recording techniques, right? And then it's mixed well. You don't need, or when it's recorded well, by the time you get to mixing, you don't need a million plugins on the mix. You don't need it to be over-processed. It will mix itself, kind of. Not really, but kind of. You know what I mean. Again, I'm, you know, I'm using these terms a little loosely, but you get the idea. A great song performed well and recorded well, isn't going to need 400 plugins in the session with all kinds of ridiculous processing because 
it was recorded well, and it was performed well. Therefore, it's more about balance, panning, yes, EQ and compression in a much more subtle way to tighten things up, to blend things together, right? Some automation to get the thing to pop, but it's not something that needs to be repaired. It's something that needs to be sweetened. But a lot of times I hear recordings or someone will send me one of their sessions. I do a lot of personal training as well. And they'll, we'll, they'll share their session with me. We'll open up the session together and I'll look at what they're doing when they send me and say, I can't get this thing to sound right. And I open up their session and there's so many plugins in it. I can't even believe it. You know, some tracks have three, four compressors, two, three EQs. They have really no understanding of what they're really doing from a mixing perspective. And if you just shut all the plugins off and just listen to the raw tracks, you'd go, hey, this pre sounds pretty good. Overprocessing, too many options, too many plugins. It happens in the, in the digital audio world, unfortunately. Back in the good old days of analog, when you were recording through an analog console without board gear, you were limited to the amount of things that you had to choose from. And we've talked about that before, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, again in future episodes. But you didn't have all the options. You didn't have 400 compressor plugins to choose from or 300 EQs. You had the EQ that was on the console. If you used a console that had a compressor, you had that. And then maybe you had a couple of racks, if you were lucky, or a couple of pieces of outboard gear to add into your mix, you know, an extra EQ, an extra type of compressor. And that's it. <laughs> that's all you had. <laughs> you didn't have 15 major plugin manufacturers making, you know, every plugin under the sun and everybody competing with each other. Okay. So it's real easy to fall down that hole of having too many plugins, using too much processing. Okay. And if you're here at home recording made easy, you know that, and you're being helped with that and you're learning to kind of undo that thinking. But that's another reason that I hear that recordings at home are not coming out as well as we probably would like them to. Okay, so in summary, the room being untreated, make sure you have a treated room on some level. Okay, make sure it's super, super important. If you want to do high quality recordings, again, look at your whole entire gear, your equipment setup. We only talked about preamps, but look at the whole equipment setup. Your studio is only as good as your weakest link. Okay, if you have good quality instruments, good quality microphones, good quality amplifiers, if you're a guitar player, bass player, you have good quality stuff, good quality acoustic guitar, and you put it through a cheap bottom of the barrel interface with, with cheap preamps, it's not going to sound as good as it could. Okay, so think about that. If you're someone who uses software instruments and VSTs, again, get quality software sounds that sound good. And most importantly, learn how to program them so they don't sound like virtual instruments, especially when it comes to drums. Okay, learn about that or pay someone to program your that stuff for your project. If you know, if you want to, if you can't do it yourself, you can always hire people to do that stuff for you at a very reasonably, you know, reasonably priced these days. Also, if you're going to record organic instruments, guitar, bass, drums, vocals, right? Learn good sound recording techniques. There's a million ways to do things, basic recording techniques. You don't have to have a multi-million dollar studio to do this. You can do this in your bedroom. If you have a treated room with quality stuff, you can do it if you know what the recording techniques are. And it takes some experimentation and, and such, but you can do it. Okay. Once you get to that point, again, if you're going to mix the music yourself, take some training, learn basic mixing techniques, 
Hint, hint, homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Mixing Made Easy Volume 1 especially. And Mixing Made Easy Volume 2. EQ Made Easy, Compression Made Easy. Take those courses if you have not already. You will learn the basic foundations of mixing. Because if you don't know the basic foundations of mixing and you don't know how to use the basic tools as a mixer, you can be the best recording engineer in the world and the, and the final product is not going to sound professional or sound good. It's as simple as that. Or if you don't want to do it yourself, because you know what? You're a musician. You're a creative type. You don't have the time to be an engineer for some of this stuff. I totally get that. A lot of people do that. You can hire a mixing engineer. You can find yourself a mixing engineer that, that will mix your music. Again, it doesn't have to be overly priced that will really help take the thing over the finish line. Whether it's me here, good old Uncle Dave, I do that work for clients all the time, or whether it's someone else, it doesn't matter, but something to consider. And then lastly, if you're gonna record and you're gonna mix your own music, don't fall into the trap of too many options, too many plugins, over-processing. You don't need it if you start from the beginning and you do things properly all the steps of the way. You don't need that much processing and that much, um, you know, that many plugins on a session. Okay, it's really that simple, okay? So those are my six things that I hear in home recordings all the time and things that you can watch out for. If, any, if you fall into any of, the, any of those pitfalls, you may wanna consider some of those things. Now, because you stuck around till the end of the episode, again, I wanna thank you so much for joining me for this uh, episode number 36. Again, as I mentioned a few times in this show, Go out to homerecordingmadeeasy.com right now. If you have not done so, there's two things I want to do for you. Number one, if it's your first time here, welcome to our family. Go to the website, get yourself a free mixing course. I got a $50 mixing course right on the homepage. Click the button, no strings attached. It's my gift to you for visiting homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And if you want to check out some of my paid training along the way, I want to give you a coupon code to help you along the way. If you use the coupon code PODCAST30, again, that's PODCAST30, at checkout, it'll take 30% off any one of the training courses. Again, all the information I just mentioned is all in the show notes and the links in the description box below. So thank you so much once again for joining me on the home recording madeeasy.com podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, and uh, leave some comments below if you happen to be here watching or listening to this on YouTube. And until the next episode, I've been Dave with the home recording madeeasy.com podcast, and I'll talk to you guys soon. See you later.